editing is everything that comes afterwards. Like with writing that I think is it's weightlifting. It's like just showing up, putting in the reps and like pounding something out that can be done by anyone who can hit a keyboard or who can write, but editing, I don't know, man, it's a certain alchemy to it. And I have no idea. Hi everyone. This is Ben Guest. And today is part three of my four part mini series on how to plan, write, edit, and publish your book. Today, Greg Larson and I are talking editing and specifically strategies to look at your book with fresh eyes. That's the key in the editing process, to be able to see your book new and make changes based on seeing it, quote unquote, for the first time. Greg is the author and editor of more than 80 books, and we discuss his memoir, Clubby, in this podcast. And we also talk a little bit about my memoir, Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball. Enjoy the episode. I guess there are two main components to editing. One is self-editing, and the other is working with an editor, either a trusted reader, group of readers, professional editor, etc. Let me start with a couple tips and tricks that I use. Please. And I got this from a guy named Glenn Stout, who has written a number of, of excellent books and was the series editor for the Best American Sports Writing, which I read growing up. It was really a seminal introduction to good writing for me. And so anyway, Glenn told me, when you get to a certain point, redo the entire manuscript in a different font, preferably a font you don't like, and then print it out and read it in the new font. Because there reaches a point, I think, for all of us as writers where we need to trick ourselves into being able to see the work in a fresh light, as new as we can. So tip or trick number one is print it out in a different font, different size, et cetera. Yeah. Love that because that's, it's so true, man. Like those little tricks, you're like, what the, f that's not going to do anything. That kind of shit really does work. You're going to look at it like it's a completely new book and you're going to see nooks and crannies that you didn't before. Yeah. I'm stealing the hell out of that. Fuck Times New Roman, <laughs> dude. I'm going wingdings on this next draft. Atomic Sands and 14. Particularly a font that you don't like. That, you that don't like. I think is really key. I really like that. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. And the, the other two, the second one is one that everybody will tell you from the beginning of time, which is to read it out loud. And reading it out loud, you can hear right away if a sentence isn't working. And then the third one is, and I haven't tried this yet, but and again, this was Glenn recommended this, bought an older Kindle. And wow. these ones, you can put a PDF on here and then it, you can do the read aloud function where it reads it in that computer voice. So it's not an audiobook. It's just that kind of funky computer voice that doesn't even know the correct pronunciation or grammar or anything. But by listening to it, say it's similar to printing out in a funky font, by listening to it like that, and I haven't done this yet, but I'm going to with the memoir that I'm just finishing, listening to it like that, again, you're hearing it in a new way. When you say real quick, the memoir that you're finishing, you're talking about the one you're working with, the basketball. No, sorry, I should have been clear. So I got that project is we're right in the middle of, of just interview transcription writing. The memoir is about meditation and coaching basketball. And that one is 95% done. Probably by the time, hopefully that these podcast episodes come out, it'll be right around the time I'm publishing that book. So that one's just about done. It just wow. needs a few more things here and then a copy edit, and then it's good to go. Dang, I didn't know that you were that close. I have this phrase, are you 90% finished or are you only 50% finished? And, and again, it comes from my filmmaking background of doing documentary where you just get so lost in the weeds and you can't tell, am I, is this almost, and I'm just thinking about every last little bit 
or eh, it's just not working. I got something, but it just needs, it's going to need a lot more. And so for a long time, I was in that, I think I'm 90% done, but I'm not sure if I'm 50% done. And actually going back to our episode writing, what really cracked it open for me was going back and looking at some of the journals I'd kept as a Peace Corps volunteer in Namibia and having some actual dialogue that I'd quoted in my journal that I could pull out and let the dialogue do the lifting, as we talked about in the writing episode, because I was telling and not showing. I was giving a laundry list of experiences that I'd had that sort of led to this epiphany of letting go of control, releasing control of trying Mm -hmm. to coach a team and so on and so forth. So anyway, long story short, it was by finding real-time dialogue that I had in my journal from years ago that I could plug in that really, okay, now I'm more than 90% finished and I just need to polish up a few things. Yeah. So the previous version was probably a lot of summary and not as much scene building. Exactly. It was way too much. I've been working with Glenn on this and it was way too much. and, And he made the point of, okay, you have this background. How did you reach this point where you're letting go of the team, you're into meditation and so forth? How did you get there? So then I wrote a chapter explaining how I got there. But it's the same thing we talked about last time. If you got to explain that you've already fucked up, explaining it just made it boring. In some cases, I'm talking about being in Peace Corps 20 years ago in Namibia. How do I make that come alive? And then fortunately, I kept some journals and I found one of the journals and bang, I had some dialogue in there that was perfect for what I'm trying to convey. Backstory as exposition was something that one of my professors in grad school really hammered in us. Sprinkle it in where it's necessary, but front loading it all at the beginning, snooze fest, dude. Nonfiction memoirs in particular, I think make that mistake a lot. Way too much background. I was born in 1924. Nobody gives a shit, dude, unless you're Teddy Roosevelt or whatever. And I'm sure we'll get into this more in future episodes where we talk the business side of it and marketing and promoting, but you have to think about who's the audience and who's the reader. And I think a lot of times, especially for first time authors or for people that have an interesting story to tell, they want to tell their whole life rather than, and we talked about this before in the planning stage, there's a point to this writing. There's something you want to communicate. And if it's not related to that, it doesn't need to be in there. Yes. Writing is entertainment. Even if it's art, it's entertainment. And if it's not entertaining and it's not informing, then what are you doing? It's just a journal. And why am I reading your book? So going back to the editing process, yeah, for me, that's where we're making a reduction, right? What does that look like for you? For the handwritten novel that I'm doing, when I finish writing it handwritten, I'm going to have to go to a computer and I'm going to have to transcribe it. That's like a free edit because I get to think about it as not being an edit. I'm like, oh, I'm just transcribing. But inevitably, who knows, that might be one of the times where I'm most in the weeds in the book ever, where I am I have it here on the page and then I'm typing it on the computer. I've not thought about this out loud explicitly, but I was like, oh, will I make obvious changes while I'm doing the transcription? I think, no, I'm going to honor exactly what's on the page and I'm just going to write comments on the side for, oh, this has to change because X happens in notebook 10, that kind of thing. And then I'm going to let it sit for six weeks. And in that process, I'm going to write something else, something completely different, probably something comedy, funny, silly stuff. And then after six weeks, I will go back through and read it. And I don't know if I'll have a pen in my hand or not, but I'm going to print it out, not in a funny font yet, 
not in wingdings yet. I'll do that later, but I'm going to print it out and just read it like I'm a reader and just see what the hell I have. And then I will go back through and then it's like slash and burn time. I will print it out and I will cut up different sections like on a chapter by chapter level. I will cut up different sections and pieces of dialogue and move it around physically like on the ground. That has been actually really helpful. What does your file management look like? on your computer. I have a Google Drive with a notes document. That's just shit I think of that is in no order whatsoever. And that's just an ever growing document. And then I have a document of the actual pros. And then I have a bunch of articles, all that stuff. They're all in the same folder on Google Drive. How yeah. often are you saving a new version of your draft? I was just looking this up. I started writing pros in the middle of May. 2016. And I finished writing that first draft on September 1st, I believe. And so I had a rough draft that included stuff that just said notes of you need seen here of what you look like. I left that alone in that document, copied it and pasted it to a new document. So it's basically, I will start a new document once I've made one pass at the full manuscript, and then I'll just move on from there. I think for Clubby, I did four heavy duty edits and then the tweaking and proofreading stuff is who knows how to quantify that. I have no idea. Yeah, I feel like I don't save enough new drafts. I know that I can always go back and find something, but I feel like I probably make a new draft once a week mm -hmm. as I'm going through it but probably need to do it more just because you, you have a nice turn of phrase and then you change it a little bit and then, ah, oh, damn, what was that again? I can't remember it exactly. Yeah. And doing it by timeline like that, you're, it's arbitrary. Yeah. Okay. So you said something earlier that is the most important part of the editing process, which is with the new book, you're going to put it in a drawer for six weeks and then pick it up again. And so those three tips and tricks about seeing the book in a new way that I gave at the beginning, basically they're all variations of the process of letting it alone until you can see it with new eyes, with fresh eyes again. The author, Peter Olson, I interviewed him a couple months ago and I asked him, I said, how long do you like to let a draft sit? And he said, however long I let it sit, it's never long enough. And I thought that was the exact right answer. Like you, you want to just forget it. You want to forget what you yeah. wrote so you can see it new again. Yes. I kind of, I look forward to that a lot, that feeling of just that feeling of having those notebooks written and letting it sit in a drawer and just know that it's complete. The hard part is complete. There's other hard parts, but wow, it exists. Now it's just a matter of polishing it up and I'm not going to look at it. It's like waiting for Christmas. The way Stephen King described it, you're reading something that was written by a soul twin, it feels, that you can barely remember it, but it's like somebody who is you, but not you wrote. It's, I've been doing yoga a lot lately. And at the end of yoga, you have the Shavasana where you're in the corpse pose and you're basically like unwinding after all of the work of the last hour. I don't know what exactly, but there's something analogous there of the work is complete. At least this phase of the work is complete. And I get to look back and see what the hell it is that I just created. It's kind of scary. It's like leaving $20 for yourself in your winter coat yeah. and you're going to find it again six months from now. For me, the hardest part, although still fun, is the writing. Once it gets to the editing phase, like the absolute hardest part is done. So in addition to forgetting and then looking forward to what it is you wrote, it's also, this is the easier phase for me. So I can't wait 
forget it so I can rediscover it and almost pat myself on the back a little bit for doing this well or doing that well. Even though I'm going to be critical about things, it is very much you look forward to rediscovering your soul twins work. Yeah, you can surprise yourself. Like even us doing the breakdown in the last episode of the revision process for that piece I wrote for Clubby, even there, I feel a pleasant surprise of, oh, I didn't even realize that that I did that. That's pretty good because I can get really hard on myself. I think like most authors, Mm -hmm. just, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I have to remember, nope, not knowing what you're doing is like the most important part of the process. So for the self-editing phase, the things we've talked about so far are putting it in a drawer and letting it sit, Yeah. print it in a different font, read it out loud, let your computer read it out to you. And for me, generally in the self-editing phase, in addition to just reducing as much as possible, trying to get into the scene as quickly as possible, get out of the scene, into the chapter, out of the chapter as quickly as possible. It's also going back to what we were saying earlier, show, don't tell. Maybe it was the last episode, show, don't tell. I want to be mindful of, am I explaining to the audience what it is they should be feeling? And anytime I'm doing that, or nine nine times out of 10, if I'm doing that, I need to cut it. Yeah. I talked about what I'm going to do with this handwritten draft, but I just realized going back through these old versions of Clubby that when I was banging out a first draft on Google Docs, what I would do immediately when I finished the first draft, once I let it sit for a bit and I went back through it, I did the spell check tool. Yes, spelling and grammar, spelling and grammar check. And I just accepted everything it told me. So then all of a sudden I have this garbled mess. And when I accept everything it tells me, boom, all of a sudden it's like a new draft. And then I formatted it. And it's boom, it's like a new draft. And without doing any cognitive work whatsoever, I just gave myself a revision and it felt like a free step up. That was all, I had forgotten that I did that until I looked back, but that was a really really cheap way of getting a pat on the back for, oh, I already did a revision. And then I try to keep it to global stuff. If I get, even in the first revision, if I get too in the weeds of, if I get too into the polishing weeds of every single word and sentence, I will get lost. So I try to keep it global content edits first of, oh shit, I have a placeholder for content here. Let me just bang something out real quick. Try to do that. And then I try to do like a full pass of content, restructuring, organizing. And then when I go back through, then it's okay. Now we're deep into polishing by sentence and word. And that takes who knows how many passes, a half dozen passes, maybe more or something. Hi everyone, Ben here with a quick commercial break which is for Greg's company. This episode is brought to you by Self-Publishing Sherpa. If you're a busy entrepreneur, coach, or consultant, and you'd like to grow your business with a book, let's talk. Yes, this is Greg Larson, the guest on this episode, and here's the deal. Writing a good book is easy, but good books don't grow your business. Writing a great book that attracts new clients is hard, really hard. Editing is even harder. Add in cover design, interior layout, publishing, and marketing, and it's enough to keep you from writing a single word at all. Whether you already have your manuscript finished or you haven't written since high school, let our team of experts handle everything for you. In six months, yes, just six months, you'll go from book idea to holding your book in your hands, ready to make you money. To learn more, visit selfpublishingsherpa.com where you can schedule a free, no sales, extra nonsense, BS call, a free outlining call to get started. That's selfpublishingsherpa.com. So that polishing phase, that refining every sentence, shaving syllables, 
What does that look like for you? That's the point at which I start reading out loud. I don't read out loud until then. That's when I start reading out loud. And I just try to listen for things that get stuck in my throat, just for things that on a gut level, if I find myself trying to read past it too quickly, that's indicative of me trying to shoo something away from work. That's the only thing I know, dude. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I can spend two minutes on said Greg versus Greg said. And so for me, it's just, and actually this is probably goes back to being an English teacher. I don't want to repeat words, especially in a paragraph. I want to have a nice rhythm. And then the icing on the cake is if I can have a little bit of alliteration or assonance in there, I'm going to sprinkle that in there. But it's that spooky process of you're one third aware of what you're doing and two thirds unaware this is the spookiest part of the process, the most unexplainable part of what exactly are you doing when you're doing those final polishes? Yep. And, and so another thing that I do, and I'm just going to open it on my my computer so I can tell everybody. So I, you, your computer has a dictionary and I did this years ago. I uploaded Webster's dictionary from like 1910 so you can find the file and upload it to your computer dictionary can upload any dictionary that's out there and so it's this great old-time dictionary that if i get stuck if i need a synonym i'll punch a word into the dictionary and see what comes up so for example in this uh, autobiography that i'm working on with a retired nba player he played college at the university of north carolina and dean smith his college coach is sort of the hero of the book and so i'm working on the chapter about freshman year university of north carolina and i'm going online and looking at photos of chapel hill and trying to figure out how to describe it it's got georgian architecture and so i just put georgian in the dictionary and stately comes up and so now stately oh that's a great word i never would have thought of that now i put stately in there and it's majestic and then in this webster's dictionary it gives you a famous quote so it's a shakespeare quote here is a stately style indeed shakespeare was always using alliteration so now the stately campus of university of north of chapel hill majestic and grand i got it all from it started with georgian architecture punched it into the old-timey dictionary came up with stately and then definition of stately included majestic and grand now i have my words that are a little bit different than I would have used if I'm just trying to come up with it on my own. Are you using the Mac, like the the home dictionary, like the utilities dictionary that comes with the operating system? Yeah. The, the way that I heard about this is the famous author and writing teacher, John McPhee had a dictionary that he used. And actually John McPhee published a book about three or four years ago called Draft Number Four, where he goes into this whole process. And it was one of those articles that he mentioned this dictionary. So let me see. It's So the dictionary that comes with your computer, if you're on a Mac, is the new Oxford American Dictionary, right? So this is my screen. And that this is the new, if I click on dictionary, this is the new Oxford Dictionary. Yeah. But I added Webster's and I got it from John McPhee. Webster's Revised Unabridged Dictionary, 1913. I like to use desk dictionary. But what's that? Tell me about that. Webster's two new Riverside desk dictionary. Honestly, I like it just because the the content is pretty thin. Like each entry is pretty short. But Mm. what I like about it is the size and the weight are perfect. Like I can, it's easy to carry. It's like easy right here. And it's packed with enough words that it's very useful. Yeah, so much of art 
is about making connections. And so when we're talking about writing and editing and sentence construction and really drilling down on what's the right word in the right sentence, I need to make a connection to a word that I'm not normally going to think of. So having a dictionary that has a bunch of words in it that are slightly out of time. So 1913, Webster's 1913 dictionary, it's going to find words that I wouldn't normally associate with this other word that I'm trying to figure out what's a synonym to use. Yes. you. Yeah. The, the thesaurus work is done for you just in the definitions. Okay. So that's the self-editing process. Now working with an editor and you've done both. You've been an editor and a book coach and you've worked with an editor. What are your thoughts about that? As an author, I won't go to an editor until I'm at the copy edit and proofreading stage. When I say, all right, I've polished it to the point where it's as good as I could possibly make it right now in this stage of my career. If I, okay, so my copy editor for Clubby, she was amazing. Amanda Jackson. She she gave me a lot of really good sentence by sentence, just grammatical stuff that needed to be changed that was necessary and good. But what she also did was she pointed out two really important narrative discrepancies where she said, hold on a minute. This scene that happens on page 125 makes it seem like you are the messy roommate with your girlfriend. But the, the corresponding scene on page 74 makes it seem like it's the other way around. It's okay if there's a discrepancy there, but as a reader, it's confusing without at least a little bit of explanation. And I was like, oh shit, me just putting the facts forward or putting the scene forward wasn't enough. I actually needed, we're talking about nine times out of 10, you don't need it. That was one of the one times out of 10 that I actually did need to explain a little bit more. And she pointed that out. And then she also pointed out that my ending was confusing. It still might be confusing that the ending made it seem like I was going forward in time instead of a flashback in time. And I was like, oh God, I didn't know that. Those two insights alone, even if I took away all the commas and all that kind of shit were well worth the entire, those two insights were worth everything that she did for me. Yeah. I think the two non-negotiables in writing and publishing your book are a thorough copy edit and a good cover design. Those are the things that you pretty much have to spend money on. doesn't have to be a lot of money, but you need to allocate resources in terms of money for those two things. Yes. If I'm thinking about self-publishing, if you have a publisher and a contract with them, royalties, all that kind of stuff, they'll take care of it. But if I'm talking about self-publishing, I'm thinking if you want to do it right, it's you have to be allotting $5,000 to those parts of the process combined. Copy edits, that might be 500 to 1,000. Cover design might be four grand to five grand, something like that. 5K is minimum to get a to get a high quality design like that. So for me in the editing process working with an outside editor, I love and this goes back to being in the film world, I love to work with an editor when I have final I hate to work with an editor when they have final cut. So in filmmaking that means somebody's writing the check, then they're going to have if a company or an organization has hired you to make a film about what they do, they have final say over the product. And that for me, I don't like not being able to control the final output. But when someone is giving you feedback, And then you can decide or I can decide, okay, I am going to incorporate this feedback or I understand what they're saying, but I'm still going to make this choice, a different choice. That's when I feel really comfortable. And it's like having a great dance partner when you're working with a good editor. Yeah, dude, I couldn't agree more. 
if I couldn't have final, there was one thing that actually came up. Okay. Yeah. When, when I was doing the copy editing process, my copy editor changed a lot of my, she put in a lot of semicolons that were necessary. It's okay. Two independent, but related clauses. Yes. Tech, technically that's supposed to be a semicolon, but every, I was like, there are no semicolons in a minor league baseball clubhouse. It, this does not fit the ethos of this world. So like by the book, technically you have it, but for the world that we've created, it's wrong. And luckily my publisher and my editor were on board with that and understood my explanation. If I just cannot imagine these pieces of dialogue with semicolons instead of M dashes, because that was my go-to is like anywhere there'd be a semicolon, it would be an M dash. Like it just keeps the things, keeps stuff moving. But that's the kind of thing that you have to look out for in an editor because their job is to be buttoned up and like more binary and you have to be on their ass. Like sometimes it's not binary. Yeah. If I'm editing, I want to point out you're making a choice here. Okay, Greg, you're yes. making a choice to use an M dash instead of a semicolon. A, a good editor is helping you realize, did you realize that you're making a choice here? And then if you realized it, you're good with it. Half the time it's, oh shit, I didn't realize I was making that choice. And that's actually not what I want. So to me, a good editor is pointing out, okay, just want to make sure you were consciously intending to do this, or you're consciously making a choice to do this. Yeah, that's where I was a professional editor only. There's a reason why I do book coaching instead and some ghostwriting, although not as much. I'm just not, how to put it, I'm just not good at it. I can see through so much of proofreading gets in the way of the flow. Proofreading is necessary for the layout, but copy editing, so much of proper copy editing gets in the way of the narrative flow. It's like stuff, I don't know, man. I think it's should be sloppier than that, at least for my stuff. Again, the New Yorker, they're all buttoned up, all that. But you've seen the stuff I write. I, I like to chunk things together and there's fragments all over the place. And I like that because it's that's the flow. One of the things that we keep coming back to is the idea of juxtaposition, counterpoint. And so again, my training initially is in filmmaking. And the best book on film editing is called In the Blink of an Eye. You have a hierarchy of when to make a cut. The second level is to match Sam Jackson's holding the coffee cup in his left hand in scene A, and we cut to the over the shoulder shot. He needs to be holding a coffee cup in his left hand in scene B. But more important than matching continuity is cutting for emotion. So if this cut, even if something is wrong in terms of continuity, but fits the emotion, then you cut for emotion. And what you're talking about is ultimately our job as writers is to engage the reader. We're writing to create, hopefully, an emotion in the reader. And that has to come necessarily before is the semicolon here correct? Yes. And we have an advantage over a filmmaker that we can change the scene if we want to. Yes, so we can, we can we change can the content. We can put the cup yeah. in the metaphorical correct hand and we can get the emotion right. Exactly. Okay, those are my thoughts on editing. Any more tips and tricks? Any other thoughts on editing? Here's the framework that I give my clients for self-editing. And it's just really, I call it the GLOW framework. You start four rounds, global edits, line-by-line -line edits, out loud edits, work with a professional and I then you have a manuscript that glows i love that framework okay i think that's all i've got on editing yeah you, if you i have... said anything else about editing i'd be talking out of my ass even more it's pure alchemy that's part three the editing process next week part four publishing your book if you enjoyed this content please subscribe to my weekly newsletter and podcast at benbow.substack.com 
That's benbo.substack.com. B-E-N-B-O.substack.com. Have a great day.